When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Breakout Finder podcast with different hosts than you're used to. Oh, it's the Podfather. Oh, it's Cody Carpentier. Oh, it's the Breakout Finder, baby. Let's go. We're here. We're here. We're here. Ryan's not here. Ryan's not here to celebrate Kyle Pitts ascending to the number two position on player profilers dynasty rankings. The moment that Kyle Pitts ascends to a place where... I, I couldn't imagine Kyle Pitts being the tight end two in, in Dynasty. It was it just, I couldn't get my head around that a month ago. Ryan just relentlessly touting Kyle Pitts. And then as this moment happens, Ryan just mysteriously disappears. He smashes the capsule on the ground. The fog appears in front of him, right? The smoke bomb goes off in front of him. Suddenly you can't see him and whoosh, he's just vapor. He's out. He vaporizes. I thought that was brilliant of him because we, I was talking to him about doing the show. I said, hey, listen, let's do a show either Saturday or Sunday or Monday. And he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Let, let's let's figure it out. Right. And then you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get back to you. I'll get back to you. And then just ghosted. But didn't 100 percent ghost me. He did reply to my tweet about Alameda Zacchaeus with a talk about the Falcons tight end response. Yep. He evacuated. But he did put his foot back in the door for a moment and, and just yell Pitts on his way out. I tweeted a little something about Kyle Pitts yesterday, and I hadn't seen him tweet much. And then he comes he comes from the top rope, him and Ray both in the comments within five minutes. And it was uh, hashtag breakout finder boys, hashtag they told us don't draft tight ends. And it's, this was the show to flex it on, man. And he's just it's so Ryan to totally ghost us on doing the show. And then troll us on Twitter. That's just perfect. I mean, it was just perfect. It was a great troll job on many levels by Ryan Lopes. There's some irony here in that I just happened to be at this moment receiving a number of emails from podcasters pitching me their show. Say, hey, we should have our show on your network or you should make me the host of one of your shows. I would love this. I'm talking about multi-page proposals to be on our network. There's a lot of interest from a lot of quality podcasters to host this particular show that we're hosting right now. And Ryan was like, nah, nah, nah. I'm good. <laughs> Amazing. Was the seat too big for him? Was the seat too big for him? I, I don't know. I, I don't know what happened. Maybe Ray was his blankie. But then I said, hey, I'll host it with you. You know, we did the PropCast show. That was, a, that was a good one. Right? You, we, we did that yeah. for 17 weeks. And then all of a sudden, he's just decided that uh, you know he, he's big time. We needed to do a show for the people. 
He wasn't interested. Cody Carpentier was interested. You're here. We're doing a show, damn it. And there's a lot of fantasy football ramifications from one of the most impactful trades we've seen in years in the NFL. So this would have been a very timely show for Ryan to show up for. And I'm looking at the trade implications, Julio Jones going to Tennessee, and it's a net negative. It's a net negative for fantasy football because Julio Jones is best on Atlanta. He leaves just this gaping hole, this talent void in Atlanta, and he goes somewhere that already has an established alpha in A.J. Brown. So on balance, the fantasy values, the fantasy points likely to be scored this year, the total lifetime value in the NFL universe comes down post Julio Jones to the Titans. It's crazy to just see now what Atlanta looks like a year removed, really a couple years removed, really from, from that Super Bowl run with Ryan Ridley, Julio, Matt Ryan, not Ryan Lopes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Matt Ryan, Matt Ryan. He, the one that's on the field playing, it's kind of shows up and stuff like that. (laughs) Matt Ryan's never missed a game. (laughs) But, but to, uh, but to see they, they draft Kyle Pitts in the, in that top 10, like, Leading up from January till the draft, it, I thought Justin Fields was the, the the pick to make, just knowing the contract with Julio and Matt Ryan. And you you kind of went at this a little bit on Twitter, but it, we knew the, the pitch pitch shouldn't have went that high. We know that no tight end should go that high. Atlanta should have drafted Ceedee Lamb in 2020 and Justin Fields in 2021. They could have Ridley and Lamb. With Justin Fields at quarterback, that would fire up a fan base, right? In those uniforms, too, just the soaring falcon with Justin Fields. He feels much more like a falcon than a bear, doesn't he? Yeah. With Lamb on one side and Ridley on the other. Oh, and now it's just the pits. Pitts is he's not going to be your Julio Jones. He's going to be a strong, strong tight end, obviously. And then you still have the aging Matt Ryan. So it's just like a, a net negative in the whole ordeal. There's no plan. There's no plan. Nothing. There's no build. It's, it's a rudderless organization. That's what Atlanta is proving to be. But when you see what Josh plugged into these projections and the numbers that he spit out, I mean, when you compare these two tight ends of of yesteryear, because nobody has has no tight end really of consequence outside of Evan Ingram has done much in year one, right? And the the most yards in year one, Mike Ditka back in 61 had 1,076 yards. The only tight end to ever go over 1,000 yards. The only rookie tight end to ever go over 1,000 yards was Mike Ditka? Mike Ditka in 1961. Shut up. Stop it. Look at you. Look at you going into the record books. Look at you dusting off the sports almanac to look up Mike Ditka. That's the territory that Kyle Pitts aspires to. Kyle Pitts aspires to be Mike Ditka. It's literally Ditka, and then it's a 180-yard drop-off to Jeremy Shockey. And so, like, no tight ends ever went over – like, one has went over 900 yards. It was Ditka, obviously. And we have Pitts well over 900 yards, which is is ridiculous. It's not ridiculous. It's rational. It's the law of the conservation of targets. The big winners – yeah, yeah, yeah. Were those that received a weaponry upgrade in the supporting cast. There's one of those, Ryan Tannehill. Yeah. He's a big winner. 
And then the other big winners were those that will benefit from the law of the conservation of targets. That's Ridley, that's Pitts, that's Gage, that's Zacchaeus. But of all these, Josh Larkey believes Kyle Pitts will receive an inordinate amount of the Julio Jones target share. It makes sense. So so how about this one guy that's not getting talked about right now in this Atlanta offense? 31.5% slot rate in 2020. 87 targets in 2020, 509 routes ran in 2020, which is fourth among tight ends. Hayden Hurst, you're going to use Pitts probably in that same role where he can play in the slot. You might even go out and play a little bit of X. Hurst is still going to be on the field. Hurst is still, they declined his fifth-year option, obviously, after they traded for him from from Baltimore. We talked about this on the Mind of Mansion a few weeks ago, that in this whole scenario, if you really want to backtrack this and you want to talk about Justin Fields could be on this team, CeeDee Lamb could be on this team, we talked about a couple weeks ago, J.K. Dobbins could have been on this team if they wouldn't have traded away uh, the second-round pick to get Hayden Hurst. But Hayden Hurst is still being over like undervalued. 87 targets last year, top five in routes run among tight ends, and, and 241 slot snaps, seventh among tight ends. Hayden Hurst might still be a value at age 27, going to be 28 in Atlanta. It's true. He's moving up in both dynasty and especially in seasonal leagues on the best ball rankings this show is brought to you by underdog and we have best ball rankings in the world famous draft kit playerprofiler.com forward slash draft kit you have best ball mode you can see where to draft players on underdog fantasy promo code underworld to get that 25 dollar instant deposit match which happens to be the exact amount you need to enter the best ball mania tournament and then we also have the Traditional league settings, super flex and auction values, so the world famous draft kit brought to you by Underdog. They make the whole thing possible. Not only is Underdog sponsoring the draft kit, the world famous draft kit, they're also sponsoring the Breakout Finder. And I'm warning fantasy gamers right now, they're going to be rushing out to best case scenario on Kyle Pitts. Hayden Hurst is going to be a problem. Hayden Hurst is going to have weeks where he outproduces Pitts because he has the experience and the tight end position takes time to learn you have twice as many responsibilities as a receiver you have to run block and pass block and run routes and catch passes it's not easy that's why few rookie tight ends produce rob gronkowski did in the second half of his rookie year right aaron hernandez and rob gronkowski produced in their rookie years rob gronkowski really only in the second half of his rookie year did he even start getting snaps and he was dominant right away but then you have to go back to jeremy shockey to find a rookie tight end that was fantasy relevant. It was someone you wanted to start. Like, so there is some significant historical headwinds that Kyle Pitts is running up against, but Josh Larkey, with some conservative projections, has Pitts close to 1,000 yards. It's just what it is. It's the law of the conservation of targets, and he was a top-five pick. He's going to get a lot of run. Hayden Hurst will be a value, especially in tight end premium leagues and those that start two tight ends. I'm interested even more in Hayden Hurst. But in many ways, I think that the biggest winner is Ryan Tannehill. Because now Ryan Tannehill vaults into a whole new tier, especially in seasonal leagues. In seasonal leagues, that he's going to have maybe Julio Jones' last super productive season on one side with A.J. Brown and Derrick Henry keeping defenses honest. Defenses still have to keep some heavy personnel in the game because Derrick Henry is in the backfield. So it puts opposing defenses in an impossible situation, and that's to the great benefit of Ryan Tannehill. I want him in all formats. Want him in Dynasty. 
want him in seasonal leagues, and we have him ahead of even Matthew Stafford, who also has incredible weaponry now in Los Angeles because he's more mobile. He's not a statue quarterback. He is a sneaky rusher. He is a tactical scrambler. So Ryan Tannehill gets a nice healthy boost here. Calvin Ridley gets a boost, but he was in a tier by himself anyway, above DJ Moore, but below Jamar Chase. He was already in this void in the wide receiver rankings. So while his lifetime value rating increased significantly, his ranking actually didn't because of where he was positioned in the rankings. But this is a boon for Calvin Ridley, but not as much as it is for Pitts and Zacchaeus in particular. Because yes, Calvin Ridley gets a boost, but he was already going to get a huge target share. Any receiver can only receive so many targets in a given season. We already had Calvin Ridley projected for a healthy target share. He just moves from just outside the top five to now inside the top five in seasonal leagues. On the other side, you have A.J. Brown moving out of the top five but not moving much, right? He's still the number one wide receiver in Dynasty. That hasn't changed. Just his lifetime value rating has been diminished because of the law of the conservation of targets, inserting Julio Jones into that offense. It will siphon some targets away from A.J. Brown. So his total rating moves down. His seasonal projection moves down, but it doesn't impact his ranking in Dynasty, and it only slightly impacts where you're going to draft him in seasonal leagues. He goes from a late second rounder to now an early third rounder in seasonal leagues. Not a major shift because when you actually close your eyes and think about how many targets is Julio Jones really going to take away from A.J. Brown, not not many. I mean, Julio Jones is going to arrive in Tennessee and I think very quickly realize, oh, 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 this is a man on the other side of the formation. Now, I respect Calvin Ridley and he was a great receiver, across from me in Atlanta, but this A.J. Brown is different. He's a proper alpha. This guy is running with three legs. His left leg, his right leg, and his penis. So that's why he's so good after the catch. (laughs) You can't bring him down. Other people are on two legs. It's a lot easier to bring something down with two legs as opposed to three legs. Most people just fall over when you hit them. A.J. Brown's got that third leg. That gives him that uh, contact balance. It's why he's the best yards after the catch receiver in the league. Part of it's the penis. Back to Kelvin Ridley. Not the best yards after the catch receiver in the league. When this first kind of news broke, there was two things that went through my mind. Was Right away, everyone looked at A.J. Brown You know, the last couple of months, and they are like, A.J. Brown, number one. Obviously, we're in lockstep, wide receiver one in Dynasty. But in this... 2021, it was like A.J. Brown might get 200 targets. Like, we haven't seen that in a while. Now, kind of the roles flip to where Julio goes from Atlanta to Tennessee. And then there was a thought, does Ridley get bumped up? And he's is he now looked at as that? Like, he can he potentially be the receiver one? And then there's this other side where yeah. I was thinking, or is he sitting in the same position as Juju a couple years ago when Antonio Brown left? And he is going to be the guy that can't actually win without enough on the other side. But then he gets Kyle Pitts. So you kind of have like this middle ground where I don't think a lot changes, but obviously he's going to get more targets and opportunity. The touchdown rate comes down. The touchdown rate in particular comes down without Julio Jones because when you get into the red zone and everything gets condensed, now if you're the undisputed number one, you're always drawing the number one corner on the other side and you're getting that bracket coverage. 
So they're boxing you out in the red zone. That's why you saw in those games Julio didn't play last year. Calvin Ridley got the targets. He got the yards. He did not get the touchdowns. That's why he didn't pay off. We lost money on Calvin Ridley in DFS. We lost money on Calvin Ridley in DFS when Julio Jones wasn't playing. We were smashing Calvin Ridley every time, just all in on Calvin Ridley based on the law of the conservation of targets. And he was getting the targets. He was getting the yards, but he wasn't getting the touchdowns. And if you're going to pay off in tournaments in daily fantasy, you got to score touchdowns. Calvin Ridley wasn't doing that last year when Julio Jones was out. So I expect Calvin Ridley to post a career-low touchdown rate this year while still being a top-five receiver based on volume. And if they do shade the coverage to Calvin Ridley, that opens up Kyle Pitts to score 8-10 to touchdowns. That's well within his range of outcomes. But again, Ryan Lopes is not on the show today. We'd love to talk to Ryan Lopes about Kyle Pitts' touchdown upside, but he's not here. Kyle Pitts could score 10 touchdowns. These are words that are tumbling from my lips. But... The player most helped by this on a relative basis is the one who goes from a bench player to a starter. There's only one of those guys, the guy who by percentage his lifetime value rating increased by far and away the most, and that was Alameda Zacchaeus. And neither Alameda Zacchaeus nor Russell Gage are highly rated on the breakout finder, right? The breakout finder had Russell Gage with a 10.8% chance of breaking out. Alameda Zacchaeus, 11.1%. Neither are good, right? If you're day three picks with below average athleticism, then you're going to be down in that 10% probability zone of the breakout finder. Alameda Zacchaeus is, is slightly higher because of the dynamic score, because he was so effective on special teams. He has a slightly higher probability. One of these guys is a candidate to get to 1,000 yards. We don't think they will. The problem is when you're small, and you're not particularly athletic, it's such a heavy lift to get to 200 fantasy points or 1,000 yards, which are the requirements to break out on the breakout finder. So I just don't see it happening for Zacchaeus. I don't see it happening for Gage. But technically, technically, Gage is the number two. Zacchaeus is the number three. I think that Zacchaeus is going to play a lot of slot. And Russell Gage will be playing out of position outside. I think that Calvin Ridley is going to be out of position. Calvin Ridley doesn't want to play every single snap at X and match up with opposing alpha cornerbacks every single snap. This is not the way to optimize Calvin Ridley's abilities. This is why he's not in the conversation to be the number one wide receiver in Dynasty because he doesn't have an alpha profile. If he had an alpha profile, he'd be in the conversation because he's in his super prime. He's at the age apex. Now would be the time. If he looked like Devontae Adams, then there would be a conversation. But Calvin Ridley, 6'1", 190. And unless you're Jerry Rice, you're not in that conversation. The probability is so low that a wide receiver with that stature ascends to a place where he's the number one wide receiver in Dynasty because it breaks you down, it grinds you down going up against the best corners in the sport each and every week. Since day one, I think really, I mean, he came in with DJ Moore, obviously, and DJ Moore, we've liked, I mean. Imagine if DJ Moore and Calvin Ridley switch places. Can you imagine? You have DJ Moore who has those alpha qualities that AJ Brown has. Imagine if DJ Moore was Matt Ryan's number one read each and every pass play. Imagine. That's 
That's exactly. Imagine, Cody. Imagine we would have DJ Moore in the top three in Dynasty. I think it'd be AJ Brown and DJ Moore. Yeah, it would be a conversation. It would AJ Brown versus DJ Moore would be a conversation, but Calvin Ridley is not that guy. He's not. He's not. Mm-hmm. You don't believe me? Watch what happens. Watch what happens this year when he is asked to play that role in the offense and see how far out over his skis he gets. We saw glimpses of it last year. Yeah. We lost money on Calvin Ridley in DFS when Julio was out. A couple games he had against uh, Tier 1 cornerbacks. Jair Alexander, Week 4, 5 targets, 0 receptions, 0 yards, 0 fantasy points. Shut up. That's that's a lie. You're making that up. On 70% snap share. He had a he had a zero game last year? Playerprofiler.com. You can go to his his game log. Five targets, one in the red zone, zero receptions, zero yards, ninety-eight air yards, zero fantasy points, seventy percent snap share, twenty-eight routes. Ninety-eight unrealized air yards in a single game. And no yards receiving. This is a problem. Against Jair Alexander, the best cornerback in football. This is a problem. This this is the problem. This is why. Like, why don't you have Calvin Ridley higher? This is why. This is this is why. Be very careful. Be very careful running out to best case scenario on Calvin Ridley. The players to focus on in this Falcons offense are the undervalued assets. Hayden Hurst, as you said earlier, and Alameda Zacchaeus, who's now going to get the full-time slot snaps. He's best comparable to Jamison Crowder. So when Zacchaeus goes out and posts 800 yards and Gage puts up his customary 600 yards, you're just not allowed to be surprised when it's actually Zacchaeus in that number two wide receiver role, not Gage. Because, you know, in, in our projections for the world-famous draft kit, Gage's projection didn't move much because he's only capable of so much. He can command 100 targets, and, then, and he'll do the bare minimum with those 100 targets. You could see Zacchaeus soaking up 120 targets and doing more with it because he's better with the ball in his hands than Russell Gage. And then in, a, in Tennessee, you go back. So every time somebody kind of increases in targets, you got Zacchaeus, you got Gage, somebody has to lose targets, right? And Josh Reynolds is, is in that role in Tennessee where he was supposed to be coming in, fitting in that role. And we all knew, like, did we really expect Josh Reynolds to be that guy? Like he had 80 targets last year. He's not a number two. He's not a number two in the NFL. He's a number three. He's a half point higher on the breakout finder than Olamide Zacchaeus, 11.6. Right. They had the, they all the same rating. They all the same rating, right? They all, it's all right at the 11% probability of breaking out Josh Reynolds, Zacchaeus, and Gage. And the law of the conservation of targets states that the targets gained by a Zacchaeus and a Gage have to come from somewhere. They are going to come at the expense of Josh Reynolds and Anthony Ferkser. Those are the big losers. The big losers from this trade were Ferkser and Reynolds. So in Tennessee, then, I was looking at these slot rates. Do you think A.J. Brown bumps more into the slot a little bit? Because we saw Josh Reynolds had a 20% slot rate in L.A. last year. Julio, 13%. A.J. Brown, 11%. Is A.J. Brown the big slot? It's possible that A.J. Brown's production doesn't change at all this year because 8 to 10 less targets is offset by increased efficiency. The increased efficiency of playing more slot flanker. You play more slot flanker. You get to play off the line of scrimmage more frequently. You get to match up against more slot corners, 
right? So that's the great benefit of having a Julio Jones is he can be the meat shield for A.J. Brown. So now A.J. Brown goes from matching up against the opposing team's number one corner 90% of the time to 40% of the time. Yes, you're going to lose targets to Julio Jones, but your efficiency is going to go up because while A.J. Brown is perfectly capable of, of playing X, according to Matt Harmon, who was on the Mind of Mansion show a couple weeks ago, marveling at A.J. Brown's versatility, just because he's great at doing it doesn't mean that's where he's best deployed. A.J. Brown looks like you built a slot flanker in a lab. Like if we sat down and said, okay, we're going to give him these legs and these feet and these hands and these arms and this penis, it would be A.J. Brown. He's absolutely unstoppable at slot flanker because if you get to play off the line of scrimmage, you get a running start. You get a running start, you catch the slant, and you're already at full speed. What the hell is that safety going to do except crawl up into a ball and start crying? There's just going to be tears, just tears, when you see an A.J. Brown coming at you full speed. Grab you by the penis and go for the ride. <laughs> just grab onto the penis and hold on for dear life. That's you all just, you can that's do. That's what you're going to do. They're going to have to tackle him like they tackle Vernon Davis. It's going to be a Vernon Davis situation. The only way you're going to bring this guy down is to tackle him by the penis. And that may or may not even work, right? I mean, he, I mean the, the, the contact balance is just like we've never seen. It's just so big. So I have to admit, we did move A.J. Brown down in the, in the dynasty rankings. We moved him from the wide receiver one down to wide receiver one. <laughs> right? Oh, it's what it is. It's what it is. And the other big loser beyond... Reynolds and Ferkser is Matt Ryan. You can't forget to move down Matt Ryan because Matt Ryan no longer has Julio Jones. He now has Calvin Ridley playing out of position at X. It's not great. It's not great for Matt Ryan. He has to hope Alameda Zacchaeus, right? He has to hope that Zacchaeus and Pitts can rise to the moment. And that's a big if for Matt Ryan. So now you see a Tannehill and Matthew Stafford, they got these big weaponry upgrades in the offseason. They're significantly higher on the Dynasty rankings now on playerprofiler.com than Matt Ryan. And it's it's sad. I have a bunch of Matt Ryan in Dynasty. He's very stable. I trust him, but he's a super flex only asset. In super flex, you want stability at quarterback. In single quarterback, you want upside. You'd never draft Matt Ryan in single quarterback. I'd rather draft Daniel Jones. I'd rather draft Tua Tungoveloa. I'd rather draft Trey Lance, I just want the upside of the mobility in a supporting cast. Right? Trey Lance has Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle and Debo Samuel, significantly better weapons than Matt Ryan with the mobility. Why in a single quarterback would you ever consider drafting Matt Ryan? It makes no sense. There's no upside there. He's a super flex only asset in fantasy football. There's more losers than winners from this transaction. And, and I think even with that, you're looking at in that in that range. I mean, you got a young Zach Wilson who has more weapons than Ryan has. You got Kirk Cousins who's got four years on him that has Thielen, Jefferson, Herb Smith, Cook. You got Mac Jones eh, in that area. He's got not. He's probably in that same situation where he doesn't have many weapons. It's it's just a it's a tough situation for Matt Ryan because we know how prolific he's been over the course of the last ten years. It just it's tough. I just can't believe that Atlanta did this. I can't believe they botched the rebuild so badly. Because they could have traded Matt Ryan for picks. They could have had extra draft picks in addition to CeeDee Lamb and Justin Fields. 
It's just so sad. I feel so bad for Atlanta fans, the way this has been botched. And I feel bad for Matt Ryan. Like, he deserves to be on a contender at this point in his career. Sad. Really is sad. Who was the most surprising running back? When you look at the breakout finder, look at the 2021 class, who was the most surprising running back in the top 10 for you? I mean, it had to be Stevie Scott. Um, Coming into the process, I like Stevie Scott a lot. Uh, His first year at Indiana, he had over 1,000 yards rushing, 1,137 as a true freshman. He's 21 right now, just turned 21, 6 foot, 225. He's got the requisite size, man. He has the requisite size, and, and he went to New Orleans. This isn't even factored in to the breakout rating of 15%, probability of breaking out. Yeah. But Latavius Murray is going to be like 75 years old this year. Exactly. He's, he turns 31. And Alvin Kamara has never been deployed as a true bell cow back. So with just Latavius Murray in front of you, there's opportunity available on the near horizon for Stevie Scott. The only thing we don't like is he ran a 471. We, I mean, when we when we were projecting these, we, we had him at about a 455, 459. In that area, I was expecting him to push to be into the top 10. But then as this class just really shit the bed and we lost all these bigger running backs that we expected to kind of run better and perform better at the pro days. He, he jumped in the, in the number 10 spot with a 15% uh, breakout rating that puts him in the same range as a guy like Raquel Armstead, LaMichael Pirine. And you put that behind Elvin Kamara, like you said, Latavius Murray has an out in his contract with a million dollars in dead cap this year. Like they can get out of him as like during fall camp, he turns 31, going to be 32. Scott's a cheaper, younger He's not as, you know, fast, doesn't have a high speed score. But in fantasy, you're just going to throw Stevie Scott on your taxi squad, and you're going to hope that the opportunity arises in New Orleans because I think it's coming. What's the big difference between Ramadre Stevenson and Stevie Scott? I mean, what's the big difference? Stevie Scott goes to Indiana. Ramadre Stevenson goes to Oklahoma. Had Stevenson committed to Indiana and Scott committed to Oklahoma, we might be thinking of Stevie Scott like we think of Ramadre Stevenson. They're just not that different. Stevenson's best comparable player is Peyton Barber on player profiler. Stevie Scott's is James Conner. What's the big difference? They're all the same guy. They just need opportunity. And there's a path for real opportunity on a better offense in New Orleans than Ramadre Stevenson in New England. Ramadre Stevenson might get more carries right away because he was drafted earlier, but he still has Sonny Michel and Damian Harris in front of him. So the between the tackles runner, in New England, Damian Harris is better than the between the tackles runner in New Orleans in Latavius Murray. That's the case for Stevie Scott. They should be closer. Stevenson and Scott should be closer in Dynasty. What about wide receiver? When you look at wide receiver, who was in the top 10 in the 2021 class on the breakout finder that surprised you most? I think he surprised everybody during the draft, right? It was Josh Palmer. He comes in right at 10, 25.8 breakout rating. Drafted at the 310 in your Patreon Power League, I took him at 3.10, which I thought was a pretty good value given that he went 3.14 in the NFL draft, the same exact pick that Keenan Allen went to the to the Chargers a couple years ago. Oh, well, look at you. You know what I love about you? You bring the, the history books with you, the almanacs. Hey, somebody's got to. Ryan's not. <laughs> same exact pick Keenan Allen went to the Chargers. Keenan Allen, 6'2", 206. 10-inch hands. Josh Palmer, 6'1", 210, 9 and 5-inch, 8-inch hands. Neither are really that explosive of athletes. They're both Allen's a little above a below average, and, and Palmer's right at average. You can expect Palmer to come in and, and, and 
kind of carve out a role. Mike Williams, I think, can be a free agent after next year. Why can't Palmer come in and do something between the two guys in 2020 of Donovan Peoples-Jones and Devin DuVernay was the two guys that he's between in the breakout finder in the same range as Julian Edelman. I mean, he's 64th percentile college target share, 49.1 level of competition score, 19th in this class. He played with Juwan Jennings, Marquez Calloway at Tennessee. He only had 400 yards every year for the last three years, but Tennessee has been hot trash for the last you know six, seven years. New coach after new coach. Just the whole system. Like There's a reason uh, you didn't know who Kamara was when Kamara came out right away. Like This whole team is fucking Michigan South. That's what it is. I was most surprised by Anthony Schwartz because Anthony Schwartz is in the 80th percentile breakout rating. 30% chance that Anthony Schwartz either gives you 1,000 yards or 200 fantasy points. That's a high probability relative to the other receivers in this class. And why? It's the dynamic score and the level of competition. Level of competition was in the 98th percentile. 72.5 is incredibly high. Think about who he's playing against. He's playing LSU. He's playing SEC competition. And last year, in 2020, that's all he played was SEC competition. It was SEC and only SEC competition. And he was incredibly dynamic, active on special teams, and commanding carries even as a freshman, was getting carries out of the backfield. And carries out of the backfield has been predictive going back decades for wide receiver breakouts. And the 79th percentile target share, he's sharing a field with Seth Williams. But because it was Bo Nix and a slow-paced, ineffective offense, the counting stats weren't impressive. But when you look at, okay, who are you sharing a field with? It was Darius Slayton, and then it was Seth Williams who is now underrated, officially underrated in Dynasty, yep. because he's now buried on the depth chart in Denver. But we saw last year, you're an injury away in week one from Tim Patrick being a flex option for fantasy football on a regular basis, on a weekly basis. But I still prefer Schwartz to Seth Williams because he's commanding the targets, he has the speed score, and when you put these signals out into the sky, you have the target share, you have the speed score, you have the dynamism, the breakout finder starts to see a lot of check marks next to this player's name. That's how Anthony Schwartz gets pushed up into the top 10 when that algorithm runs. And you line him up next to another SEC foe, Alabama receiver, Henry Ruggs. Ruggs had two carries at Alabama, 75 yards, Schwartz 330 in two seasons. Schwartz ran a 427 at his pro day, Ruggs 427 at his combine. Both have next-level speed, obviously. Schwartz brings the dynamism. Henry Ruggs doesn't. But Schwartz went to Auburn. Exactly. Schwartz went to Auburn. Schwartz can win in every quadrant on the field. Ruggs is literally a deep threat. He was second in the NFL last year with a 17.4 average target distance and only 143 yards after the catch, which ranked 87th in the NFL. Schwartz can do both. Yeah, Schwartz is better than Ruggs. Yes. On the dynasty rankings, because Ruggs was a first-rounder, and has very little competition for targets now in Las Vegas. He's still higher than Schwartz, but it's not a significant differential. Ruggs is moderately higher, has a moderately higher lifetime value rating than Schwartz, but it's not this great disparity because in a vacuum, if I were starting the NFL franchise, I would rather have Anthony Schwartz. Anthony Schwartz is a hell of a lot more valuable to an NFL team than Henry Ruggs because of his versatility. And you just you run the thought experiment. Okay, what if it was actually Stevie Scott at Oklahoma? You run the thought experiment. Okay, what if it was actually Schwartz at Alabama 
and rugs at Auburn. How are we perceiving these players? That's all I ask is just think critically. Just use your imagination when you're evaluating players. And that's the beauty of the breakout finder is it factors in level of competition. It factors in teammate score. It factors in all these things. And so the computer can see around corners. The breakout finder is able to see around corners because it looks at all these data points that are program agnostic, right? Dominator rating factors in the volume of the offense, the overall productivity of the offense. What's your share of that offense? And Ruggs was so low, he barely broke out at all. Ryan, if you look at wide receiver 10 through 20 on the breakout finder, I find it fascinating, especially now that I'm reading reports that Tylen Wallace is catching everything in Baltimore. Yeah. That the breakout finder actually believes that Demetric Felton, because of his versatility yeah. and his dynamism, and it doesn't factor in the, that he was melting faces at the Senior Bowl, which he was. Yeah. Demetric Felton outplayed Tylen Wallace at the Senior Bowl. And then you look at the breakout finder and you see he's a notch ahead of Tylen Wallace. And it makes sense. It makes sense that when you're running the probabilities, a player like Demetric Felton is likely going to be active on game day before a player like Tylen Wallace. And the trajectory is just angled up a little bit more for a Felton over a Wallace. Yeah, that's exactly who I was going for. I mean, he's not Schwartz is not the only dynamic player in Cleveland. Like he, Cleveland's got to have the breakout finder, right? Like day three, Donovan Peoples Jones. Day two, Anthony Schwartz. Versatile, athletic playmakers that went to college programs that prevented them from being productive. Yeah, they just in a shit like so. Put Demetric Felton in Ohio State, where Curtis Samuel was used. Demetric Felton had 958 receiving yards, 1,101 rushing yards, 611 return yards. Talk about dynamic. Like he's literally in that second tier in dynamic score with Curtis Samuel, Randall Cobb, Greg Ward. And then like we're not even getting into Odell Beckham being a year away from having an opt-out in his contract where they can give him $0. Landry's two years away from that same situation. Like the opportunities I think are going to be there. And for guys like Felton and Schwartz, it's – I mean I'm stashing them at – any cost really because they're, they're both borderline free like Demetric Felton is not getting drafted well Demetric Felton is the freest of the free and Demetric Felton is objectively better than Richard Higgins like for the same reasons why you'd prefer Schwartz to Ruggs if you were starting an NFL franchise the versatility that Demetric Felton brings to the table makes him more valuable than Higgins because they have similar workout metrics these are not athletes but yeah. Demetric Felton was super versatile and dynamic in a way that Higgins was not in college. Basically just a small version of, of Cordero Patterson where you just use him anywhere. But it's probably not going to happen because he's not particularly fast. He's not particularly explosive. It's probably not going to happen. That's why his breakout rating is not that high. It's not like we're saying, oh, well, yeah. this guy is a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's likely to break out. No, he's not. No. He's a couple percentage points... Higher than Alameda Zacchaeus on the breakout finder. It's not a big deal, but you talk to people that are at the Senior Bowl, they're saying this guy gets open at will. At will. And who does that better than damn near anybody else in the league? Jarvis Landry. So it's like, if you can learn from a couple of years, that's that's kind of like your, your hope. Yes, if you have Demetric Felton's profile, you should be living in Jarvis Landry's back pocket. Exactly. 
Jarvis Landry is going to have two shadows in training camp. His own shadow and Demetric Felton. Yep. Just every time he turns around, like, ah, Jesus Christ, Demetric! Jarvis Landry is going to have two shadows in training camp. His own shadow and Demetric Felton. Yep. Just every time he turns around, like, ah, Jesus Christ, Demetric. Ryan sent us a basket of lemons. We, we made some lemonade today, buddy. I'm so confused by that. Did he, like, just completely not reply or what? Because he sent that email on, I feel like it was Saturday or Friday, where he's, like, had this whole layout schedule. Did he not do that? Did I imagine that? I said, listen, we've got to, I'm going to California. Yeah. We've got to record Saturday, Sunday, or Monday. Let me know. Nothing. I swear to God, he fucking emailed and had a plan and said what day he wanted to record, and then he just never replied. Friday at 1 o'clock, and he said, Going to try and record next week. We'll lock down a time over the weekend and share a few days. I'm available to record. We'll share when I have that date. Last six episodes are going to shoot for the following record dates. Week of June 7. Oh, he just said week of. He didn't say, like, date. I told him, listen, we have to record saturday sunday or monday because i'm going to california yeah and then he never replied yeah and then he never replied and then he just ghosted me like it's like you like it you want to talk about it and you get the opportunity to talk about it with a platform i didn't ask you to do any research i just asked you to pull up the breakout finder that's all i said just pull up the breakout finder that's it fucking 9 15 you're like 10 o'clock and i was like yeah let's do it and i was like i wasn't worried i was like i know i can pull up whatever and just riff if i have like it's worst case scenario you know what i'm saying like it's just it's a fucking we're talking football like i was worried about this man i i knew ray was the glue i was worried about this i was worried ray leaving the whole show would fall apart i was worried i was worried but guess what guess what and we lose we lose the glue guy that's okay we're not gonna let the people down the pod father and the rooster baby and I'm going to basically at the beginning explain that this is a quick and dirty show and that it's Ryan's fault. How bad how bad are you going to rip him? I'm going to I was going to I was like going to say something about Kyle Pitts finally gets this 101 buzz and Julio leaves and then fucking Ryan just out. He just leaves. It's quite the coincidence. You have to do something without the whiteboard obviously. So you have to do uh, right. you have to have like uh, your daughter record you as you're like on the mountains and you're like see this fucking mountain? This tree, this giant sequoia, this General Sherman tree, this represents the girth of AJ Brown's penis. <laughs> there you go. This is the illustration of A.J. Brown's penis, and Julio Jones is going to have to contend with A.J. Brown's penis when he arrives in Tennessee. I don't think Julio's ready for it. This is not a Roddy White situation. No. Though, Roddy. <laughs> Roddy. Roddy. Julio Jones did supplant a Roddy already. He has experience. This was the show to flex it on, man, and he just... Ryan was like, nah, nah, nah. This was the show to flex it on, man.
with different hosts than you're used to. Oh, it's the Podfather. Oh, it's Cody Carpentier. Oh, it's the Breakout Finder, baby. Let's go. This, was the seat too big for him? Was the seat too big for him? We'd love to talk to Ryan Lopes about Kyle Pitts' touchdown upside, but he's not here. It's why he's the best yards after the catch receiver in the league. Part of it's the penis. A.J. Brown's a stool. You want the dynamic football players. You want the players with great teammate scores. You want high receiver rating running backs. Wait, wait, is he here? Wait, has he been lurking the whole time? Ryan, are you here? Ryan? 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 Are you on the show? No? No? Kyle Pitts could score 10 touchdowns. Grab you by the penis and go for the ride. The only way you're going to bring this guy down is to tackle him by the penis. This, was the seat too big for him? Was the seat too big for him? Latavius Murray is going to be like 75 years old this year. Woof. This is not about Ryan at all. This show's not about Ryan. It's not about Ryan. It's just so big. Jarvis Landry is going to have two shadows in training camp. His own shadow and Demetric Felton. Just every time he turns around, like, ah, Jesus Christ, Demetric! This whole team is fucking Michigan South. That's what it is. Because we moved him from the wide receiver one down to wide receiver one. <laughs> right? Oh. And I have a backup glue gun. A big fucking glue gun. This guy is running with three legs. His left leg, his right leg, and his penis. So that, that's why he's so good after the catch. <laughs> A big fucking glue gun.